Welcome to the new episode of Starting Your Own Coffee Shop. I am Jerry Stolani, the founder of Cafe Chocolat in downtown DC. I had no experience when I started four years ago. And if I can do it, you can too. Tune in. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Ristretto Time, starting and running your own coffee shop. So I was thinking about what to record this time around, what type of uh, topic I should cover. And I realized that um, I'm getting a bunch of questions from different people via email. So I figured, and I do respond to them individually on the email, but I figured, you know, some of those questions would be useful to a lot of people listening to the podcasts. So I decided to just jot down a few of the ones that I thought were you know, either I'd covered them in the previous episode, but not in details, but some that I thought were actually kind of interesting questions that would be helpful to people that are starting out new. So um, if you have any questions yourselves, um, if you, I don't know, want to bounce ideas, opinions, whatever, uh, whatever, you know, um, you can write to me at dolani at gmail.com, D as in David, O-L-L-A-N, I at gmail.com. All right, so um, we'll start first with uh, Fernanda in LA. Fernanda, um, thank you for listening. Uh, and it's awesome uh, that um, you feel like this episode, uh, these podcasts are, are helping you out in your small business. Um, I'm, I'm honored uh, to you and everybody who takes time from their busy lives to uh, listen to these podcasts. Um, and, um, you know, if, if it helps anybody just even a little bit, I, I think, you know, it's served its purpose. So, uh, thank you for that. All right. So question number one from Fernanda, do you need an accountant, uh, when you start? Technically you don't. I mean, I used, uh, QuickBooks at my shop, uh, <laughs> but I can't be the one preaching about this because I did use a bookkeeper. Uh, you can do it yourself. I mean, there's tons of YouTube videos on how to, you know, enter entries and how to, you know, balance your budgets and stuff like that. Um, everybody that I had talked to when I was running the business would, uh, you know, just call me stupid for paying money uh, to use a bookkeeper. Again, they're not cheap. They they range from like $150 a month to like $400 a month, depending on how busy the month is, you know, in terms of like entries. So it's up to you. If you want to save the money, definitely spend some time on YouTube. Uh, learn some of, uh, you know, the basic things on how to enter and balance your books. And, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you can definitely do this uh, yourself by the end of the day. I, I couldn't, um, I was also, besides running the shop, I was also working, uh, uh, another job. So I just, I just didn't want to deal with it. So I did hire an accountant, but you don't have to. Um, the other one is, so the second question is, um, I'm having a hard time finding a small location. Yeah. Um, the hardest part is actually the smaller location is, uh, the harder it is to get, especially if you're a small mom and pop kind of like shop owner, uh, looking to get space just because smaller spaces are, are at a premium. So generally you're going to get stuck with whatever you get. Um, I was looking, when I started looking, I was looking for a space between six to 
700 square feet because I, you know, it was a downtown space. I didn't really want uh, a place where a lot of people could sit, right? And also, it's more expensive. So I wanted a lot of in and out. I couldn't, you know, the space that I found was roughly a thousand square feet, and that was the smallest space. And uh, it was the, the smallest one, and I couldn't negotiate. Did I need all of that? Absolutely not. Um, I could have done with literally 500 square feet. Um, but, you know, when you're small, and especially if it's like a, a busy market, like if it's um, like a busy downtown area, you don't necessarily get offered the best spots. You're either you're going to find like a really good square size space, but in like a really bad location um, or you're just going to find bigger spaces and you're just going to have to deal with what uh, what they give you. Uh, did I, did you use a broker? I did. Um, I used a broker, uh, just because I feel like they make life easier for you. But then again, you know, you have to keep in mind that their job is to make sure that they sell you the space as, as soon as possible so they can move on to their own clients. So they don't know they're not going to, you know, deal with you for six, seven, eight months looking at different spaces because, you know, for them, time is money. Um, the way mine was set up is you paid uh, the broker like, I don't know, $1,000 um, for a year contract. And if you found a space, then that money is given back to you. And if you didn't and you, you know, the contract would end without you finding the space, then they keep the thousand dollars. I mean, I'm sure there's different ways. I'm not really the expert in, um, um, space or, or deal with brokers, uh, but do a Google search, you know, and see what other options there are. Uh, the next question is, uh, you're trying to find a specialty like Brazilian coffee or Brazilian theme. I guess you can do that. Um, in in my uh, you know in my opinion um all you'd need to do is just find there there are a bunch of uh big big when i say big like you know um uh, d distributors, you know, regional distributors uh, that carry all kinds of different types of coffee, you know, from green to roasted, you know, so uh, I would, and they carry it from, they carry coffee from everywhere. So I wouldn't, you know, go out and just order directly from Brazil to get Brazilian coffee. I'm sure a local distributor next to you um, is able to give you what specifically you're looking for. Uh, just make your life easy. Don't spend too much time you know, ordering from different locations, unless your your theme is that you source unique, um, unique like unique coffee from you know different individual farms from around the world, and you you deal directly with uh, the farmers over there and in very small quantities. But it's you know you don't have to. Um, okay. So next is uh, Mike and Sam in Jersey. Uh, what's a good espresso machine, um, and do you need a new one? Oh, that's that's a tough question. Um, so I'll I'll answer the one that I feel more prepared to talk about. Do you need a new one or an old one? I mean that depends on you. I think personally, I feel like the espresso machine is your bread and butter. It's it's basically, you know, what's gonna be the core of what you sell there, right? So you, you need a good espresso machine, um, you know, to make sure that the quality 
of your coffee. The output is really good. Um, I use the uh, Marzocco GB5 uh, to group at my shop. Um, I thought, I mean, you know, for, for the transactions that we had, I thought that was more than enough. Um, we literally used one of the groups, you know, 80% of the time or 70% of the time and the other 30% of the time we used the other one um, only when we were super busy and we needed two people on, on the machine. Um, and that only lasts, you know, those kinds of rushes last maybe like, you know, 30 minutes um, every four hours or something like that, right? So you're not really going to be you know, just having two people on the machine at all times using everything in there. So to me, like a, a two group um, is all you need. I've, I've gone to other shops and they have like three or four group machines and literally they use only one and, and it's not used that often. And to me, it's just a waste of money and a waste of space. So I think a, a, a two group is probably the right size. Um, do you need a new one or an old one? I bought a new one. And again, if, depending on who you work with, who distributor you work with, they all, like the coffee distributor, they all either have a deal with um, some coffee vendor or or they can source you something at, um, uh, at a distributor price, right? So you, you'll save like maybe a couple of thousand dollars from a new one, which is okay. Um, if you... You can use an, uh, a used one. Um, I just, you know, I noticed that people sometimes didn't really care what coffee I was using. They would just judge the quality of my coffee from the machine. They would walk by. It's like, oh, a Marzocco. Yeah, you know, I know your coffee is going to be good. And if they saw it, that it was like shiny and, and brand spanking new. Um, and again, we also made it a point to clean that machine, you know, twice a day as if it was new uh, because we realized that that made a big difference. When people saw like the machine new, they they really commented on it, you know, and they the comments were always like, positive and related to the quality of, of the coffee itself. So um, I think it makes a difference. If you get a used one, like my GB5, basically right now it's what, like five years old. Uh, you could probably buy that one off the market for six, $7,000. Um, I bought it new for roughly about, I don't know, 15, uh, 16, $16,000. So, I mean, it's worth its money, you know. Um, if I had to do it again, I would do the same thing. I'd buy a new one um, again. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's all I have to say about um, whether new or old. But to your question, what's a good espresso machine? Um, I'll give it as best of an answer I can give. I'm sure there are other people who are much more experts on this than I am. Um, I use the Marzocco. I've seen other shops. There's a shop that I like that uses a, a Slayer and it just, it's such a beautiful machine. I mean, from a design perspective and I think it does a good job. But I use the Marzocco at my shop and, you know, people knew it. Uh, people kind of felt sometimes they would walk in, they would uh, compliment the machine and they'd kind of assume that the coffee is going to be great because the machine the machine is already great and it was a brand they know and they had seen at other uh, very good coffee shops. So 
that that really helped also um it depends on the region too but um i know up in uh, new england in boston specifically like a lot of the coffee shops use the chimbali um and i guess that's good too i think it depends on you know um where these uh coffee makers have a strong foothold and uh and that's what you're gonna get i mean Again, like uh, from a design perspective, from a look perspective, um, I thought the Slayer is is just a beautiful machine. Um, but um, you know, I like the Marzocco. I, I've had fun, you know, kind of using it and learning it. Um, and I would choose a, a Marzocco again, you know, if I if I had to. But do some research, see what you want, um, see what you're gonna get. You know, also keep in mind like. When you bring staff in there, how much do you want to train them? Um, how important is all of these details about keeping the machine and, and kind of having a, a manual or semi-manual machine uh, and just go with that, you know? Um, if you just want easy operation, there's tons of them that literally have like a, a you just press a button for a single shot or a double shot or a lot or whatever and the machine will make it for you. Uh, but I, I, I like the manual ones and... People generally seem to appreciate, um, you know, the labor that we put in whenever we made uh, a good cup of coffee. Um, so I would stick with um, with my uh, manual uh, uh, GB5. Okay, um, next, Keith. Um, so I'm not sure where Keith is from, but anyway, thanks for listening. Um, how do you choose the right name? Um, good question. Uh, I think I've spoken about this in a previous episode, uh, or I covered a little bit of it. Um, I mean, it's like anything else, you know, when you, when you choose a name for a brand or a product, um, just spend a lot of time thinking about it. My modus operandi has always been pick a name that tells people exactly what they're going to get. Like, I love that. Like I, I, I love that. It's just so simple. Take the guess, takes the guess working out. And I know people complain that it's so generic, but I, I like that, you know. Uh, I like names like Shake and Bake. You know, you know what you're going to get. I like names like Speak and Span. Um, you know what that's going to do for you as well. Um, there's a helicopter passing right over my window, so sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, Shake and Bake, Speak and Span. Um, what else? Just Just names like that, right? Uh, because it's easy, you know, we named the shop Cafe Chocolat, and that was by default, I mean, I wanted it to be a generic name, I wanted people to to know that it was a coffee shop, and it was a chocolate shop, but I wanted to kind of give it a a little of a premium twist, so I just gave it a, a, you know, I Frenchified the name, and made it Cafe Chocolat, and also, you know, would make a big deal out of it if people say, if people said chocolate, you know, I'd literally like stop them on their track and be like, no, it's Chocolat, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's really important, right, it's like, it's like having somebody mispronounce your name, um, you know, so, but, but it was, it was, it worked out for me, because at the end of the day, I wanted people to know that it was a coffee shop, and it was a chocolate shop, and that's what people got out of it, they would, they would just say Café Chocolat and they was, the guesswork was already taken out. Um, I think I think whatever you name it, something has to be in there that harkens back to uh, coffee, right? Whether you call it the bean or espresso or, you know, ristretto or latte or whatever, you know, whatever you call it, um, it has to, I think, I think it would help when you name something that people will know exactly what it is and will remember. Uh, but then again, 
you know, there's a shop down in Virginia that I go to called Three Whistles. Like, you wouldn't know by the name of it what it is. You'd think it's a bar. Uh, it's based on a coffee shop, and there's a lot of people there, you know. After a while, when people remember who you are, uh, then the name kind of, especially if you have a unique name, um, it's got its own you know, strength to it as well, especially if you become kind of like a uh, a neighborhood spot that people know, um, you know, so there's some strength to having a, a unique name as well. I hope that helps, uh, but give it some thought, um, you know, run it by some people and just ask them like, hey, how easy is it to remember? Like, did you know what you're going to get when you hear this name? Or do you think it'll fit with uh, with the theme that you're trying to do? And, and sometimes it'll work, right? Uh all right, uh, next, uh, Taylor in Virginia. Um, how, how many staff do you need for a 900-square-foot space? Uh, that's a, a good question. Um, I, I mean, but, but there's a lot of factors that go into it, you know, into the size. It's not just the size of the space. It's the type of products that you're going to carry. Are you going to just have hit and serve? Are you going to, to have just a pick and go um, or grab and go? Are you going to literally make stuff in there? You know, you're going to have a small grill and whatever because um, that will determine what you're, you know, the number of staff that you're going to need there. Um, at my shop, it was grab and go. We didn't really, and it was just hit and serve. So um and it was a thousand square foot um i didn't know the answer to this question when i started and and honestly um i know that even if i had asked it wouldn't have made a difference because i was so scared when i opened that you know i was gonna have one customer complain that the service was bad that i literally stacked it up like the first day we opened i had six people on the floor not including me um on a thousand square foot so like there were seven people in there taking care of customers and i you know i bet there was more more employees on the floor that there were customers at any point in time um there and and obviously it's super costly it took me you know a couple of months to start weaning out uh the size of the team um but then when we got comfortable, I could literally run that entire shop for a few hours completely by myself without the need for help from anybody else. And it didn't matter how busy it got. So, you know, I think probably what I would suggest is, again, like if you're new to this and you're worried, I would err on the, you know, loaded, like front loading it, meaning like get more people than you think you'll need um, at the beginning. Um, and then because once you have them all there and you have them trained that you can pick the best ones, um, to keep, and then you start weaning down, you know, your team to get it to an optimal size. I think like a 900 square foot, if you're not, you know, if you don't need like somebody who's like cooking all the time or prepping, you know, food all the time. Um, I think like eight people, eight to 10 people max on both shifts or if you have like a mid shift on three shifts is all you're going to need um the the biggest thing that you have to worry about is you know what you're going to do in your downtimes because there's going to be downtimes during the day there's going to be one or two um you know slots around the day where they're going to be the slowest times for you and what happens is usually you'll have like three or four employees you know on schedule because they're not evened out 
you know the the space is not even out um or he's not spread out evenly so you're you're gonna have three or four employees just literally like hanging out you know for like a good 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour whatever your downtime is you know in terms of where there's not a lot of traffic uh to your shop and if you're not there most likely what's going to happen is you're going to have one person who's like leaning and you're going to have two or three other ones that are just kind of like on the phones or sitting somewhere if you're not there right um and if you're there <laughs> you're going to be paying people to act uh busy so you know i think keep it like really tight crew if you're going to work there yourself keep it as tight as possible um and if you're gonna have family that's even better because that means you don't really have to hire a lot of people because you're gonna have your family members there as well so yeah i mean um i hope that answers your question i mean it's a tough one um i think i would need a little bit more details in terms of your operations to be able to kind of guesstimate how many people you're gonna need but it also depends on how busy you're gonna get um all right i think um i think that's that's plenty of uh questions and answers for today i'll probably do a round two um but yeah if you have any more questions uh yeah just email me again dolani at gmail.com um and i'll be glad to uh to help you out um yeah so thank you uh for listening i mean this is this is great it's um it's a lot of fun for me uh to do um and um and um i'd love to to hear from you guys and and uh to hear you know, um, what's going on with your shops. I'd love to see some pictures of the shop or like if you buy a machine or what machine you use, um, you know, that's that, that would be pretty cool. All right. Um, thank you and have a good rest of the day. And thanks for spending these uh, 20, 25 minutes with me on, um, on this topic. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Well, here we are at the end of this episode. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, Keep an eye out for future episodes. We'll be bringing in uh, some people with some deep knowledge in various areas of running and owning a coffee shop or a coffee business. Um, So we'll give you guys chances to ask questions um, or even get live on one of our episodes as well. So until then, have a good rest of the day.